Thank you guys, as always, for listening to Caleb vs. Self. In this episode, I get to speak to David Brickman, owner of the Body Mind Float Center with locations in Rochester and Syracuse. We explore how David got into floating, some information for first-timers, and the benefit of salt rooms, which they also have there. Uh, you can find Body Mind Float Center on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and at their website at bodymindfloatcenter.com. I hope you enjoyed the episode. All right, uh, David, thank you so much for hopping on. I appreciate all the time. Uh, I've got David Brickman with me, uh, the owner-operator of Body Mind Float Center. Um, I'm really looking forward to here in about two weeks. I'm going with my brother to the Rochester location. Uh, booked it before David really knew about it, but um, hoping to get more insight as to the the float, the sensory deprivation tanks, and everything that goes into it. So again, I appreciate your time, David. Caleb, it's my pleasure to talk with you. All right. Well, first and foremost, uh, what got you into sensory deprivation tanks, and what got you to the point of opening two float centers? Well, it's I I didn't think about it for years and wonder about it. I just was out on the West Coast in Portland, Oregon. I was there engaged in my previous business, which was being a classical violinist. Uh, and uh, I've got a very good buddy, actually two really good buddies out there. And one of them was way into floating, which I had heard of only obliquely. I had some vague awareness of the term sensory deprivation deprivation tanks. So he proposed it. And with a sort of a shoulder shrug kind of attitude, I, I, I went into it and, uh, another buddy came along with us and I found it to be the most astonishing experience. 90 minutes uh, of time in this, uh, float tank had really changed my mood and, uh, my, my feeling uh, that day, I do have a pretty extensive background in meditation and, uh, I've gone to silent retreats that last anywhere from two days to a week. And so I'm familiar with, uh, to some small degree, anyway, the workings of my own mind. And, uh, when I came out of the float tank, there was just a deep quiet in the mind. And I'd, experienced this before, but it was something that was, that I had to fight long and hard to attain in these meditation retreats. And I was quite surprised to put it mildly that uh, 90 blissful and effortless minutes could result in uh, a similar change. I certainly wouldn't ask, suggest people drop their meditation practice. On the contrary, it's a spectacular compliment to floating. But uh, uh, floating does give the uninitiated a real taste of what it can be like when the chatter in the mind begins to quiet. So for me, that was the hook. And uh, I knew I wanted to float more. I knew that, or at least I strongly believed that there was no floating available in Rochester or nearby. And that was true. Mm -hmm. And uh, I decided that uh, I would... Uh, take the plunge and uh, give this business a try. That was nine, uh, not 19, huh? dating myself. That was uh, about eight years ago. 2012 was my first float. 2013, September, we opened in Rochester. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That's fantastic. Um, when you 
first went through that whole process, you mentioned that you had a, a bit of a background in meditation, doing silent retreats, and, and obviously that had a pretty profound impact on your actual float. Is that something you would recommend to people who, like myself, who is going to be a first timer doing it? Um, I know my brother has stated this, he's floated a few times, that doing a little bit of meditation kind of beforehand helps prepare um, you for that that journey, if you will. Well, one of the things I learned in short order about floating is that it has many applications, if you can call it that. Some people, uh, that broadly speaking, the, the, the two primary reasons people cite for floating other than just having heard about it and it sounds cool, uh, sure. are, are, are pain uh, relief and then the, the mental or uh, emotional side of it, uh, which would be relief from anxiety and stress. So, um, you know, I, I went into it just <laughs> because I was invited to do so and, and was very struck by the, the, the mental and, med- and meditative aspect of it. Uh, so if that's your, if that's your bag, then yeah, sure. Uh, just quieting the mind with meditation in advance and, and possibly pursuing that meditation practice, whatever it may be in a float tank, uh, is, is a, is a, is a good way to go. And, and yeah, doing a little meditation beforehand could only help. Sure. <clears throat> the the other thing, you know, in doing my research, trying to find out what this was all about, there's a lot of people who talk about the, you know, the, the mental aspect of it, the meditation, being able to, you know, close out a lot of obviously sensory things so you can really focus on whatever it is that you want to focus on or not focus on anything at all. But you mentioned the physical aspect of it. I feel like that's left out of a lot of conversations, at least that I've heard and read the the physical benefit of being able to float it seems to be and correct me if i'm wrong because you're in all that epsom salt and your body is so buoyant on top of that it almost allows you to um in some way lay correctly if you will so somebody like me who tends to be hunched over a keyboard all day you know when i lay down for that extended period of time there seems to be some or a, a significant amount of pain relief especially for chronic pain is that something that you hear quite often yeah i think I think probably the the uh, meditative aspect and the kind of you know that 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 aspect of it may be a little more a little more sexy a little more uh, attention grabbing than run of the mill pain relief but but we d- we have quite a number of uh, guests who do float for pain relief we even have a, a particular program for people with fibromyalgia that. Uh, offers them some financial support uh and that actually grew out of a out of a pilot program we were part of to examine the effects of floating on the symptoms of fibromyalgia and when that program was over we wanted to continue to support the population who had come to uh, depend on the floats we have hundreds of people enrolled in that right now Um, but almost any kind of pain can yield to some degree, and sometimes to a uh, a great degree, an inspiring, moving degree, to the power of this environment. And if I may, I'll just explain how that the, the process or the mechanism behind that. Absolutely, uh, please do. So, 
So we call the we call our devices <laughs> float tanks, or uh, we now have open float pools, which create the same environment without an enclosure, which for some people is a little scary. Actually, for many people, it's a little bit of an impediment. Uh, the majority of people get get past it and find that they're not frightened by being in an enclosed space. But for for a number of people, floating first in an open pool is is uh, is a good initiation. It is the same experience in the pools. Uh, specifically, we're creating an environment uh, that is pretty fairly well described by the term sensory deprivation. Although uh, the sense of uh, for me, it's a it's a gift, <laughs> not a not, not. There's no sense of being deprived. So that's why I think we and the industry in general turns away from the term sensory deprivation. But we're, we're creating an environment where your brain, which is normally uh, besieged by sensory input, is getting a break, which is otherwise unavailable. There's no other environment on Earth, no other place on Earth where you can get that degree of uh, diminution of the processing burden that your brain is dealing with pretty much 24-7. I guess it obviously changes when you're asleep. So to that end, we, we, re, uh, we reduce sensory stimulation as low as possible. So uh, you think, what are your five senses? Uh, we all learned that probably back in grade school. So um, if, you sh if you shut off the light, you've got perfect darkness. You'll never see the hand in front of your face. Your eyes cannot adjust to no light. So uh, some people choose to float with the dim light on, and many people start with it on, and then once they feel comfortable, shut it off. Uh, also, sound. There's the only sound you'll hear in a float tank are, are sounds that you generate yourself through breathing or heartbeat, humming, speaking, crying, singing, whatever whatever you do. Uh, the the cracking of a joint can sound like a, a whip in the in a float tank because you've become accustomed to this deep silence in there. Uh, this tactile sense, the only thing that touches your skin in a float tank is either water or the float tank salt water solution, which is the same temperature as your skin, about 94 and a half degrees Fahrenheit, or the air that you're uh, in the float tank, which is that same temperature. So you don't feel the air, you don't feel the water, you don't feel the boundary between them. Uh, uh, there's a, there's a faint smell, which quickly recedes from consciousness. It's the smell of 800 to a thousand pounds of Epsom salt in the water. Um, the presence of that salt makes the water very dense and the occupant of the float tank extremely buoyant. And so this goes into another area of, of brain work that is uh, lifted. Uh, you don't have to deal with the effects of gravity. It's a simulated zero gravity environment. So your brain, which is normally busy uh, balancing the body and gravity and feeling the weight of gravity is freed from that and you float with absolutely no effort. You don't have to think about keeping your head afloat. And so in essence, you're just, you're lying there, you're floating in sort of skin temperature outer space. There's nothing for your brain to do. And this seems to uh, enable the brain to do other kinds of work 
it's very common for floaters' brains to move into a theta wave state similar to that of a meditation expert or a yogi who's deeply involved. And uh, so that's, that's the sort of the essence of the, what happens to your brain. Now, there's a corresponding there are corresponding changes in the body. And uh, frankly, there's really no, con uh, no uh, separation between mind and body. And that's why we chose the, the Zen term body-mind to gotcha. uh, represent, uh, represent what we do. So during the float, it's uh, very common, oh, I, would, I would say universal, for people to uh, have their blood pressure lowered. Their breathing slows, the pulse slows, uh, the production of stress hormones is suppressed, cortisol and epinephrine, and uh, endorphins are boosted. Those are the, the runner's high hormone that also control pain. So this change in the hormone balance in the body does affect one's perception of pain. And I guess you could say if it affects your perception of pain, then it affects your pain. And then uh, there's, again, almost uh, you, for almost everyone, there's a, a concomitant uh, release uh, of muscular tension. And this can be quite profound, uh, particularly in the neck, the back, the shoulders, and uh, throughout the body. So this combination of a change in the hormone, hormones in the body, a release of muscular spasm and muscular tension... And then being in this zero gravity environment to get to what you were speaking of, uh, the body is is lying down, but not really under pressure. And then the there's a release of muscular spasm, and this often allows the body to rediscover or find a new new postures, new positions. Uh, and uh, people often feel that they've had sort of a an autonomous chiropractic adjustment when when they float, and uh, we see the we see the results of floating in people's faces when they come out. We call it post float face, and uh, okay. they look they look bright eyed and they look relaxed. And if somebody's been in a lot of pain, you can see in their gait, their locomotion, a change. So that was a, a long answer to a short question. No, that was. Very eloquently put, I appreciate you going through all of those things. It does bring up a few questions for me. First and foremost, you mentioned that the the you know float tanks or sense uh, float tanks. What's the appropriate term that you guys use then in the industry to describe the equipment? Or almost everybody calls them float tanks. Again, just avoiding for uh, uh, both business reasons and just creating creating fear in your potential guests. We avoid right. that sensory deprivation term. It's associated with torture. And I suppose if you were a, a prisoner and you were locked in a, a place at the hands of your enemies, yeah, that would not be a that would not be a positive experience. So we call them float tanks. Uh, sometimes, uh, and then we have this other slightly different. Uh, technology called open float pools. It's it's exactly the same as a float tank, but there's no enclosure on the open pools. And the entire float room, in essence, becomes your float tank. The 
the burden of uh, creating total darkness and the right temperature and the right humidity. These are all shouldered by the entire room without the help of an enclosure. So it's a little bit more of a challenge to get it right, but we've been at it for, uh, we opened in 2013, I think it was 2016, we added a couple of open float pools in Rochester and uh, we opened our Syracuse location with an open float pool and open float tanks. So yeah, those are the two terms we use, float pools and float tanks. Yeah, that makes sense. And definitely to the, like you said, to the uninitiated, getting into a box, right, might prove to be a mental obstacle that some folks might not be able to get over, whether it's claustrophobia or whatever. So having that float room is definitely, uh, I assume, helped a lot of people be able to, uh, no pun intended, put their toes in the water and start (laughs) uh, experiencing floating and the benefits of floating. Yeah, I, I do think that the open pools enabled people to come and 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 experience this, who otherwise probably would not have you know, crossed our threshold. So you guys start with float tanks. You've added float pools. What does the future look like for floating in general? Is is there a future? Is there something a new technology that is potentially coming that might enhance the experience? Uh, you know, the only thing I really heard of that would represent a significant departure from what we do. I heard of, I heard about it many years ago when I was first exploring this whole world and I haven't heard much about it since. And that is floating in a vertical attitude, standing, if you will. Um, Yeah. A fellow in Portland actually had a big space in the back of his shop and he was going on about building a vertical float tank. Now that obviously is going to require some vertical room. And it also would require, God, there was a, a description of a, a tank that would fill as you stood in it. But you would have to tether the feet. Uh, otherwise, you just your body would just tend to go straight to a horizontal right. uh, position. And uh, so the tethering of the feet, of course, immediately brings up two things. One the, would be uh, some sensory contact mm-hmm. with whatever was uh, keeping you in that position. And then there is just what to me and I would think to almost any human or animal <laughs> would be the disconcerting feeling of having your feet tethered there while water slowly inched towards your chin. Uh so I, I think that, as long as we're going with puns, I think that technology is probably dead in the water. <laughs> uh, and, Fair and, enough. And, yeah, and that's really the only thing I heard about. Uh, you know, from a from an operator's point of view, there are improvements that could be made in these tanks for ease of operation, reliability, ease of repair, etc. But from from a user's point of view. I feel that we've gotten the the technology or the the environment pretty close to pretty close to perfect. So it's it's hard to imagine what technology could come out. Uh, you know, unless you could come up with it with actual zero gravity device that would enable you to do this floating in a room. <laughs> I, right. I can't imagine what improvement uh, we could we could we could have at this point. Well, it sounds like the improvements would come from what you were saying, kind of an operator point of view. I imagine that filtration systems are, uh, you know, quite 
quite an involved expense. I imagine that, you know, being able to improve something of that nature as an operator might be really helpful and improve the operator side of having floats and, and owning a center like yours. Yeah. Um, you know, we've gotten it down pretty well, but one of the things that, uh, can, uh, can keep me awake at night is worrying about, uh, yeah, the physical plant and how everything's working. So it's just a, yeah, for, it's just a reliability thing. Uh, as I said, after eight years where we've gotten things pretty solid. Um, so yeah, from the, from the user's point of view, it's all golden. And from my point of view, usually things work out okay, but I do dread those and 9 p.m. phone call from a staff member talking about a flood or a broken pump or something like that. Right. But, uh, you know, I think about uh, the development of automobiles over a century. You know, you can get yourself a, uh, a highly rated car and drive it without incident for years if you get get lucky. You know, you change the oil and that's just about it. Float tanks, yeah. not not quite at that level of reliability yet so but that's that's boring insider stuff or at least i i fear it's boring insider stuff no i i actually don't think it is i think people typically want to know a little bit more of the inner workings of of that stuff so i appreciate you kind of pulling the curtain back a little bit oh sure well let's keep going as far as the type of people right that come to your place of business mm-hmm. obviously you have people who are probably a little bit more into meditation uh you know zen maybe philosophies people who are just looking for maybe another way to relieve stress are there ways that you've seen in your 8 9 years that you've been doing this that you can open up the door to more of a clientele are there things that people maybe miss about floating that might help them say you know what I'll give it a shot uh, well, you know, when I first started doing this, I imagined that uh, that I'd have uh, a shop full of meditators, people interested in exploring the mind, people interested in lucid dreaming. And yeah, that is definitely an ongoing and, and solid, but I would say small fraction of our clientele. Um, I think... The, the biggest faction are people who are simply trying to lead a better life in terms of how they feel from day to day and how they feel from moment to moment. Um, for, the, for the most part, it's people who are looking for stress management, especially in 2021. Many people are, have expressed their gratitude for our... <laughs> just the fact that we're open and that we're there at a time when they are in, in the most dire need of stress relief. Um, so, so there's a, yeah, there's this small, relatively small faction of people who are interested in the meditative aspect of it or in, in enhancing their own creativity. There's a, a, a biggest group who are interested in stress relief. There's a sizable group who are coming for pain management, uh, we have athletes who come to recover from workout, to recover from injury, and also to take advantage of the theta brain state that you get into to uh, practice or rehearse their sport. So, for example, we had a pitcher from the Rochester Red Wings, our, uh, our minor league ball team, 
yep. who, by the way, was about 6'10". So if you're a tall fellow, you can fit. And uh, he, he, he floated fairly regularly during his time in Rochester. And I asked him about why, what benefits he gets. And he actually didn't speak about the physical benefits. He said, I rehearse my, my pitches. So he's going through this mental rehearsal. And as a, as a musician, as a violinist, I'm well acquainted with the, the, the power of uh, learning a physical skill just by mental rehearsal. And uh, if you look, you won't have to look far to find studies, people who, uh, you know, uh, they divided a group into, into two, some of whom practiced shooting the basketball, some of whom only did mental rehearsal, practicing the basketball, and maybe three groups, <laughs> and a group who practiced shooting and mentally uh, visualized it. And, uh, you know, these studies demonstrate the power of mental rehearsals. So that's another little facet. Uh, people float for, uh, to just get past writer's block or whatever field they're in, uh, to get the creative juices flowing. So that really there's just the widest application of floating. And so we have the widest demographic. We have white collar and blue collar and all people of all ages and races and just everybody comes in. It's really, uh, if I opened a new float center unaffiliated, I might call it the melting pot float center. <laughs> That's interesting, especially the the sports or the, um, I'm trying to think of the, the right term, but I guess performers in general, right? You, you think yeah. about sports psychology and talk, people talking about mentally rehearsing whatever it is that they're doing. I imagine being able to remove all of the uh, other things that may distract you from visualizing that goal, that would be extremely helpful exercise uh, in a float tank. Yeah, getting into this flow state, this theta state, will definitely enhance your ability to really do whatever it is, your whatever your goal is. Um, and yeah, a lot of uh, top athletes have discovered floating. Some, some teams have uh, installed float tanks. Steph Curry is a famous proponent. Uh, Joe Rogan is another. So uh, we love it when famous people float because it, uh, it, uh, they're good ambassadors for the, for the industry. Certainly. Well, let's talk a little bit about this uh, theta state that you're referring to. So I've seen and, and read people write and talk about how when they're floating, they are looking to get to that state. Um, obviously, you know, the ripples in the water when you first get in there probably distract you. But at some point, I imagine you hit whatever that theta state is. Is that the point where you get these uh, like hormone changes that you were talking about where the stress kind of melts away and you get those um, endorphins that, that help melt away whatever stressful feelings that you're feeling? Is that the state that you're really looking for when you're floating? Well, uh, some people are looking for that. I, I'm, there just isn't the science to say exactly when and how these changes take place. There is some excellent science being done, but it hasn't really uh, addressed the, the question you've asked. So I'm, you know, just in general, we err on the conservative side when it comes to making claims. Uh, you'll hear claims that one hour of floating equals eight hours of sleep. We would never say that because there just isn't 
the empirical evidence to uh, to show it. But going back to our our name, body mind, there's certainly it's certainly true that there's this. Uh, I mean, to even say a connection between the body and the mind is to is to understate the case. There is uh, there's no separation there, and so so yeah, becoming relaxed is the essence of uh, floating. It is from this more relaxed state that all the benefits flow. So if if you're not becoming relaxed, you are not going to uh, see this th- these changes. I, I think that's safe to say. And uh, knowing that, uh, we gear our environment outside of the float tanks, you know, the design of this physical space and the way our, we interact with our guests, we are striving to create an environment where people f- feel at ease and feel comfortable uh, so that they can get the greatest benefit of their actual tank time. But if you, know, if you come into a float center and you're treated brusquely or it, things aren't clear, uh, you know, these are going to increase anxiety and diminish the potential benefits. So, so right from, you know, you know, I don't know how, to, how well we succeed, but right from, you know, the, the way the website is and the booking system and the way we answer the phone and the way we greet people, it's all geared towards helping people feel at ease and relaxed so that uh, they're already halfway there by the time they get to the water. Gotcha. So a lot of that mental state as you get to the float center for your appointment really can potentially impact how the experience is, which is why you've geared all this towards, you know, a de-stressful or or comfortable environment overall, it sounds like. That's right. If somebody calls me up and says, this is so-and-so, I have an appointment. It, It was five minutes ago. I'm running late. I just say, take your time. We'll be here when you get here. Uh, and just, right. yeah, just try to get people uh, moving in that direction before they ever even get to the float room. And I'm sure this next question, it probably varies for everybody, but is there a recommended amount of times that you would suggest somebody floats to, to really be able to get the full experience? Or, or is that really just person to person? It is just person to person, and I I shy away from recommending it. Uh, again, yeah, again, there's there isn't sufficient data out there to say that if you're if you have PTSD, you should float this many times. If you have generalized anxiety disorder, this times. If uh, if it's 2021 and you're paying attention, you should float this many times. Uh, <laughs> And also, it right. it uh, it smacks of self service to to make such suggestions, and and uh, we don't want to go there. You know, if somebody got a whiff of that, trust would be lost, and mm-hmm. the ability to feel at ease and and taken care of would be diminished. And so, I just turn it back to the to the guest and 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 give them the best possible advice, which is your own instinct will guide you. 
I, I, in this whole conversation, I appreciate the fact that you continue to go back to looking for empirical evidence and scientific studies to, to potentially support what you at least feel and, and the reason why you got into this business. How often do you go and look for that type of scientific evidence and how long do you think it'll be potentially until there's a lot more empirical evidence that comes out on the benefits of floating? You know, cleaning and laundry and, and, uh, marketing and payroll and those things really do <laughs> occupy immense amounts of our time. My, right. my wife, Patty is uh, my business partner. And so, uh, you know, I have my Google feelers out and if, uh, you know, a few terms pop up, they come to my inbox and I uh, look over articles. Um, but I, I don't spend a ton of time. My own decision to open the float center was based on gut instinct and my own response to it. I just felt sure that, and I, and I mean sure, I felt sure that other people would would benefit, that it would help many people. I, I just knew that when I right after my first float. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't I don't spend a ton of time looking for it, but uh, but. Uh, there's a closed industry Facebook group of float operators and, and there's tons of conversation there. So uh, this is a, a great resource for me. Uh, and I'll look, uh, you know, I look there, but uh, mostly it's just, I, I just, uh, I, I don't really need to uh, look it over. It's sure. so, it's so patently clear to people once they float, you know, they just feel so good afterwards. Uh, so that we, that's what we mostly rely on. Uh, so a lot of what I'm telling you, I, I knew eight years ago, you know, after right. a few months of reading and looking. Yeah, that uh, makes sense. I mean, you're still in business. You're still around. So obviously people are <laughs> coming back, right? Yeah. It's, it, it, uh, it, once people float, they, they really, you know, one of the most common uh, uh, parting uh, phrases I hear is, I'll be back. Um, but sure. I, I do want to mention that there, there has been good science done over, oh gosh, probably about five decades already. Uh, in particular, right now, there's a, a place called the Laureate Institute for Brain Research. This is in Tulsa. And they actually have set up uh, float tanks that, and, and they've invented some instrumentation that enable them to take uh, certain kinds of readings of pulse and blood pressure and uh, while somebody's floating. So that, that's been a, a real boost towards uh, getting hard data. Uh, a lot of the earlier research uh, depended upon uh, only questionnaires, getting the subjects to evaluate, evaluate their own uh, changes in uh, mind and body state. Uh, but, uh, so if anybody wants to take a deep dive, as they say nowadays, yeah, go to the Laureate Institute for Brain Research. The primary researcher there is Justin Feinstein, and he's sort of a rock star in the float community, believe it or not. Uh, the pandemic year not included, we've had annual float conferences where people from literally around the world come to hear talks given by uh, researchers and float center owners and float tank manufacturers. And uh, there is some, some good hard science being done 
uh, Feinstein in particular examined the effects of floating on anxiety. Uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, this is not, this is, there's not a lot of money behind this. So I think it's going to be uh, a relatively uh, more of a drip than a, than a cascade of information coming in, but it's, it's coming in slowly and surely. And in the meantime, there's not one person who comes to visit us who's really uh, requiring that information. Their own uh, felt sense is is clear enough to them. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, I have seen, I believe that he did a TED Talk, if I'm not mistaken. That's uh, right, he, he did. On and the effects of it, yeah. So I will, I'll actually link that into the uh, podcast episode as well for anyone who's listening that might want a little more information. Um, I'll, I'll try to add that information as well as obviously the the uh, mind body float centers information as well. So real quick, if if you don't mind this, this isn't the only thing you do at uh, mind body or I'm sorry, body mind float center. You also do salt therapies as well. Would you That's mind right. Kind of- Kind of briefing I, me, if you could, on what that's about and, and how that sure. works. Sure. Yeah, sure. Thanks for asking. Yeah, the, the, the fancy name is halo therapy, which just means salt okay. therapy. Uh, so floating is uh, was developed in the 50s, became a uh, something the public could do in the 70s. And I'm speaking of the 1950s and 70s. Uh, halo therapy is, is about 100 years older than that. I think it was the 1850s when uh, a Polish... Polish physician who was taking care of salt miners uh, discovered, not invented, but discovered that their respiratory health was immaculate. And he put two and two together and realized it was from spending a lot of time in this micro environment of salt caves where there's a lot of salt dust in the air and that they were breathing that in. And that became the, that was the beginning of this therapy called halo therapy or salt therapy which uh, is quite well known in Poland, in, in the former Soviet, uh, you know, Eastern Europe, uh, Poland, uh, Russia, Latvia, the, these countries, the, the medical community and the population are, are well aware of halo therapy, which initially was practiced as it was uh, discovered. Namely, people went to convalesce from respiratory illness in salt caves. If you go to our website, I, I think we have an old photograph of a number of people in beds in this giant, gigantic salt cave. Uh, yes, you do. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Um, and actually, that help you out. That it's uh, 1843 is when that Polish physician uh, started figuring that out. So, yeah, oh. quite some time ago. Yeah. So thanks for that uh, clarification. Um, so uh, now... The, uh, the therapy is, has been modernized. You don't have to go to a salt cave and, and, and live there for a few days uh, right. because we have this uh, machine called a halo generator. It's, it's precise, but quite a simple concept. This pharmaceutical salt is ground into microparticles uh, under 10 microns. Depending on the size of the particle, it'll find its way into the deepest... Uh, recesses of the lungs, the bronchi, the sinuses, and uh, there it will uh, come in contact with congestion that the body has produced. Uh, Salt is hydrophilic. That means it draws moisture. So uh, moisture is naturally moved 
through the body tissues to where the salt is, which is where the congestion is. And that just thins secretions and helps the body clear itself. And salt is also uh, anti-inflammatory. And this can be an issue in allergies, asthma. And salt is, uh, tends to tends to kill germs. So people with sinus infection may get the benefit. So anybody with uh, a respiratory illness may benefit from spending a 45 minute session in the salt room. Uh, asthma, allergies, cystic fibrosis, sinusitis, even, even uh, um, maybe COPD, any, any kind of respiratory issue may be ameliorated in, in the salt room. And there it, we, we do tend to uh, urge people to do a few sessions in short order because there is this physical uh, or mechanical removal or thinning of mucus that, that, that uh, occurs. And that can, you can really sort of get ahead of the curve by hitting a few sessions in a row if you've got a sinus infection or if you're just having experiencing an increase in symptoms of seasonal allergies or having a flare-up of asthma. Uh, sometimes a few sessions uh, do the trick. Interesting. I, I may have to, uh, I think I'm actually going to probably buy one for my wife. She typically has earaches and, uh, you know, asthma, those type of issues. So I actually did not know that salt therapy was even a thing until I started exploring your website and booking my appointment for the float. So um, I think it's something I'm going to try and have uh, her try. Yeah, it's it's not that well understood or known here. There's a whole medical literature. Uh, it's mostly in Russian. And uh, my understanding is that in uh, some of the aforementioned uh, Eastern European countries, that uh, halo therapy is actually offered in medical settings, in hospitals. Really? Quite a diff- okay. Yeah, quite a different story than in the United States. Right. A lot of this tends to be the I hate to put it this way, but the off-market brand for medical practices, <laughs> although it does seem like it is growing and becoming more of an actual, I shouldn't say actual, that's probably the wrong word, but but a legitimized therapy, even though it seems to have been legitimate since <laughs> a while. <laughs> yeah, there are different perceptions of it in different places. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I, I appreciate all your time, David. I'm really looking forward to my float experience. Uh, I'm hoping to get that done here in, in two weeks. And uh, I feel like I'm, I'm more adept and prepared to actually uh, get the full experience of it. I think a little bit of, of meditation and light stretching, if you will, will probably enhance the experience a little bit. So, I, again, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. It's been my pleasure, Caleb. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Absolutely. I look forward to talking to you again soon, sir. All right. Take it easy.